This is Sudden Wealth Radio, the first and only broadcast that explores the financial, tax, legal, and psychological issues of Sudden Wealth. Your host, Robert Pagliarini, is the nation's leading Sudden Wealth financial advisor who has earned a national reputation for working with clients who have received windfall from inheritance, divorce, lawsuit, business sale, sports entertainment contracts, stock options, and the lottery. You may have seen Robert on Dr. Phil, Good Morning America, 2020, Katie Couric, or others. And now, here's your host of Sudden Wealth Radio, Robert Pagliarini. Our job is to help our clients create the most wealth and help them make smart tax, legal, and financial decisions. So implicit in our advice is the goal to help our clients create richer and more meaningful lives. However, in working with clients over the years, I've noticed one issue that has created a great deal of anxiety for clients. So one of the biggest fears affluent parents have is leaving their kids money. So let me go through some of the numbers and then we're gonna get and talk about some ideas on how we can help the parents and also the kids. So the first question is, how much money are we talking about that will be transferred from one generation to the next? And so the statistic here is actually pretty staggering. Boomers are expected to transfer more than $30 trillion to their children. And so this is twice the amount that the boomers are actually going to inherit. And this research was done by uh, the consulting firm Accenture. And so here's what else we know. In a survey that was done just last year of 206 parents with $5 million or more of investable assets, 91% of them said that they were leaving all of their money to their kids. Okay, so what we have here is a bit of a problem because nearly half of the parents in a separate study said that they were concerned about leaving them too much money. 46%, in fact, said they were quite concerned about leaving their children money. And so this is a potential problem. We have uh, trillions of dollars being transferred. Parents are doing the transferring, but they're concerned. And so what's happened is in, a, uh, in another survey that was done of 2,900 investors, they asked parents, so are you talking to your kids about money? And sadly, 25% of the parents said they have not talked to their kids because they don't want to want the kids to feel entitled. And another 33% that said they haven't told their kids because they don't want their kids to count on the money. And so this is the old uh, sort of ostrich approach, stick your head in the sand and hope that the problem goes away. Unfortunately, the problem doesn't go away and often it gets magnified. And so I'm very grateful to have here on this conversation, Todd Enkatavinich, and he is a partner with the international private client law firm, Withers Bergman LLP. And he co-heads the firm's trusts, estates, and charities group in the United States. So he is an expert in this area. And Todd, thank you for coming on and participating. Well, Robert, thanks very much for having me on the call. Yeah, so you hear, heard me go through some of these statistics, and I know you're very familiar with uh, some of the research that's been done and as far as the amount of money that's being transferred and the parents' reaction. But did any of these statistics surprise you? Well, it, it's, it's not really statistic, uh, surprising the statistics in terms of the amount of wealth that's, that's going to be passing down over the next 
uh, several years. I mean, we really are, uh, in a sense, kind of entering into a gilded age, at least with, with certain folks. You know, the accumulation of wealth uh, and the, the generation of wealth is, is really sort of unprecedented at, at this time. But that leads to that question that you highlighted, uh, and there's a real disconnect, right, where, where you have uh, a lot of uh, the, the senior generation folks who, who plan to, in some sort of manner, leave all or, or most of the assets uh, down to the children and the, the younger generations. But at the same time, they're very concerned about what that money is going to do to those children. And trying to strike that balance is really kind of at the heart of, of, of what we do as planners. Uh, there are tax implications with all this that get weaved on top of that, but really trying to strike that balance is so important. Um, so many of my clients that I deal with and, and people that we meet, you know, we do see people trying to struggle to find the answer because, uh, you know, a, a lot of people who are successful, you know, they've they've, you know, maybe come from middle class and they've really built up these these assets through a combination of. Uh, hard work, smarts, and and yes, even some luck. Um, but you know, there's this balance between people wanting to enjoy the fruits of their labor that they've worked so hard to achieve, but at the same time, you know, they want their children and their grandchildren to 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 grow up to be responsible adults and to have the same sort of uh, you know responsible kind of characteristics that the parents have had, which have made them so successful. So the balance here is trying to enjoy the fruits of your labor while at the same time being able to instill some sense of um, uh, a feeling of stewardship versus a feeling of entitlement uh, at the next generation and the younger generations thereafter. So it, yeah, it's, and I, it's a I think, struggle. I think that's absolutely key. I think, I think you really nailed it there. Uh, and I think one of my favorite quotes, and I share this a lot with, uh, with clients, it's, of course, Warren Buffett's quote uh, where he said that he wants to leave his kids – you know, enough money that they can do anything, but not so much that they can do nothing. And that really hits home with a lot of my clients who, as you said, um, they, they've worked really hard. They've come from maybe middle class, maybe lower class backgrounds, but have worked very, very hard to build the wealth that they have. And the last thing that they want to do, and this is what keeps them up at night, is the last thing they want to do is give their kids money and have it, quote unquote, ruin them. And, and that's often uh, the phrase that I hear is that it will ruin their lives. Um, and so with your work uh, with clients, um, what are what is that first discussion that you have with a parent who has a, a tremendous amount of wealth and yet is a little bit concerned about passing it on to their kids? Sure. I mean, it, it, it's it's an initial conversation, but it's an ongoing conversation, right? Because, you know, a lot of times this this planning involves tax efficiency, but it's layered on top of these sort of personal dynamics. And and particularly in the situation where you have, uh, let's say, the, the parent who has built this wealth primarily. So it's let's call it first generation wealth um, now, you know, through a combination of factors where they've built the wealth at this generation, where maybe for the past five generations or 10 generations, even more, uh, that the family line may have been of, you know, modest, relatively modest wealth. Now at one generation, you've changed the family's financial footprint potentially forever, uh, or at least for hundreds of years, perhaps. Um, and, and that's a very meaningful thing. 
and and while you know in some sense it's a it's a nice problem to have uh, at the same time it's it's a lot of responsibility now you know it it's it's interesting because you know sometimes you know you'll hear things where where maybe the the wealthy are vilified but you know it, it's very interesting you know people are people right and it's so hard to classify you know a socioeconomic class just with such a broad brush in my experience a lot of the clients that i deal with are extremely wealthy and they are really some of the nicest and most considerate and modest and understated people uh, that you will see and you know it's their characteristics that strong work ethic and sense of responsibility that's gotten them uh, to where they are in large part but quite honestly you know it's been my observation that a lot of these people even if they lost their wealth they'd be doing the same exact things that they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis it's those characteristics that is, that that that's gotten them there now trying to strike that balance to to try to make sure that the next generation and then the generations that come after that have some sort of governance structure in place uh so that you know they can benefit from you know the the family largesse but at the same time um, benefit from in a way where it's going to be protected and it's not going to be, you know, the spigot's not going to be turned on uh, at such a rapid rate that it's going to end up destroying them. Yeah, and that's that's often the big fear is that it, uh, having too much money will allow the kids to basically do nothing. And in um, one of the uh, one of the one of the issues I work with uh, in working with clients, and, and I'm sure you do as well, is striking that balance between education and and secrecy and that's that's usually the, the the sort of the the tipping point with a lot of clients is that they don't want to disclose or even have a conversation about uh, the amount of wealth that they have with their children they think if they do that then the cat's going to be out of the bag and the kids are now going to expect to have a large inheritance that if they let their children know how much they have they may not want to go to college. They may not study as hard as they would because they know at the end of the day, they're going to have this inheritance that's going to come in and save them. Uh, and do you find that you, in, in working with clients, that th they have those similar fears? I, I think it, it runs the gamut. Uh, and, and quite honestly, I think, you know, the, the approach of saying, well, we're not going to start a conversation with, with the children uh, and we can always do it down the line. We'll we'll do it in five years or so. I think you're you're just kind of putting off the inevitable. And in you know today's world where you know financial information about about uh, wealthy individuals is pretty accessible just by a Google search in many cases. You know it's the the, the notion that that you're not disclosing this to the children and therefore it's not going to impact them. I think is probably not all that realistic. I mean maybe they can't find you know, detailed information, but there's still, you know, uh, there's, it, it, it's still pretty easy to do a Google search and, and find out that, that someone, you know, owns these assets and those assets and such. So I think, you know, the earlier you can start that dialogue with, with your children, the better. And I think, you know, that dialogue starts not with talking about, you know, specifics of the money and, you know, we have this trust and we own this entity or that entity, but rather kind of starting early with, Again, going back to the notion of instilling values, embracing and getting the children early on to sort of embrace and internalize the ideas of, of stewardship versus entitlement, that, you know, this, this wealth is there, 
the family has been very, very lucky and very diligent in, in creating that. And it's their responsibility to kind of ensure the preservation of these assets. Enjoy some of it, but ensure the preservation of these assets for the benefit of the next generation. I think there's a there's a there's a watch uh, there's a watch um, advertisement that, that says you never actually own this watch. You rather just are a steward of it for the next generation. And I think that's I think that's uh, you know pretty apt in a lot of these situations. And what have you seen that works well in instilling these values? Because um, it's 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 it can be difficult to instill values, uh, especially if you start too late. And and that's why your advice is so important. And that is start as early as you can in working with your children. Again, you don't have to disclose all of the details or the structure, but to start having conversations about money and about what money means and what money can do. Um, what have you found in, in working with your clients that has been beneficial in instilling those values and that sense of responsibility? Well, you know, I, I think the ideal situation is where, you know, the, the, the family has meetings and they start to introduce the children to some of those meetings, maybe even the meetings with uh, with my colleagues uh, and myself uh, and and other other folks on the team, hopefully what you have is a situation where the the children you know have have been instilled you know these kinds of responsible values from inception or early on, so that this is just really more of a natural extension. I've been in a number of these these discussions where you know you know the the next generation are very. Uh, they're very interested in being involved in these discussions. They get the uh, sense of responsibility and preservation and stewardship. So I, I think I think a lot of times, you know, you do have a very kind of uh, you know positive experience starting to introduce these these concepts to the next generation. I think you take your time generally in introducing you know more specifics so that this way you know it, it's a gradual thing. The other thing that we can sometimes, uh, uh, you know, get involved with is, you know, certain family entities, for instance. A lot of times families might have different investment partnerships or LLCs or things like that. Maybe they'll have trust structures where they have committees, they'll have trustees, they'll have protectors, they'll have investment advisors. And those are often opportunities to introduce children uh, or perhaps grandchildren to some of these by undertaking some sort of a role, maybe some sort of a role in, in involve, you know, involving making investment decisions, for example, or perhaps in connection with the family's charitable endeavors. Maybe uh, the child can be involved in some sort of committee that decides, you know, what what charities to support. And and again, that's a kind of a general and gradual way to start getting the next generation involved with 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 notions of preserving and managing the wealth and and by you know being involved in distribution decisions to other folks perhaps charities it's a way to also you know instill that that thought that you know it's not just about your entitlement but it's 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 about you know sharing to a certain extent and 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 responsible uh, management of it yeah i think i think that's key um the not only the the entitlement but the involvement um, what I found in, in working with clients, their kids specifically, is that they've expressed that they just feel completely out of their place in certain meetings, um, that they don't, like they understand 
that there is a certain amount of wealth, but they it's not a, a, a visceral connect. They don't have a visceral connection to it. Um, it's it's very um, I, I guess almost elusive to them. And so I think if you can get them involved, get them participating in one way or another, like you suggested, maybe on a committee. Um, I had a client who had a, uh, a personal foundation, and uh, they had three kids. So they, they part of the foundation was they had to give 5% of the assets per year to various charities. So each kid got 1%, and each parent got 1%. And this got them involved. They could... They knew that they had X amount of dollars that they were responsible for and had to find charities to give the money to. And it, it, it allowed them to have some ownership and to connect the dots a little bit rather than just seeing numbers on paper. Sure. Yeah, I think I think whenever you can start to get buy-in from a big-picture perspective of the next generation, that's, that's going to be all the better. I, I do think that a lot of times people – uh, are maybe hesitant to start going down this path because they're not exactly sure what's going to be involved and where it's going to lead. Uh, and I think, you know, there there's complexity involved with, with this type of planning because there are tax implications that often get worked into the conversation. Uh, and, you know, there are nuances and decisions and things like that. So I think sometimes um, uh, people can get into a state of what we might call analysis paralysis, uh, and, and just say, well, this is this is pretty complex. We'll 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 put it on the on the back burner until next year, until five years or so. And and I think that that can be a mistake because this is an ongoing process. And um, you know, for better or for worse, when you have successful families that have generated significant wealth, um, just by virtue of financial gravity alone, those assets are going to make their way down to the second generation and perhaps the third generation, you know, unless you end up leaving, you know, the overwhelming bulk of it to charity or you lose it, right? Um, so, you know, the assets are going to make their way down. And, you know, I think a lot of the, the folks that, we, that, that, you know, that we represent, you know, people are very well-intentioned and they're very thoughtful about trying to create governance structures. And doing it sooner rather than later is really always going to be better because the analysis paralysis problem is if you kind of get stuck because of all the complexity and say, well, you know, we'll just put this off. Okay, it's it's really not going to solve anything because if there's some sort of triggering event, if someone passes, for instance, and the assets make their way down, one, it's going to be less tax efficient in most cases, and half it might end up going to the government. But two, and perhaps more importantly, if you haven't affirmatively um, created some sort of governance structure uh, you know, ahead of time, those assets are just going to make their way down to the children, probably in, lot, in a lot less kind of protected sort of way. And, and when I say protection, I mean protection from, grant, from creditors, protection from divorcing spouses potentially, and perhaps most of all, protection from the child's own indiscretions. So being able to be proactive in advance and create some kind of governance structure is always going to be a better thing. Failure to do that really ends up just creating, you know, the very kind of uh, type of negative circumstance that you're hoping to, to, to avoid altogether. Now, let's talk a little bit about governance structure. Uh, I think people hear that and they might not entirely understand what that means. Um, so can you describe what governance structure could look like, uh, be it a, a trust or a, 
LLC or or uh, or, or not another example? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's an interesting point that you raised because governance it's not really a specifically defined thing. It's a broad term that can apply with respect to you know the overall family structure and the kind of um, decision-making mechanisms that are in, that are involved, and that can apply, uh, let's say, at a the level of a trust that might be created. Um, it might apply with respect to a family business. Uh, it might apply with respect to, let's say, a family office that exists to kind of help with the management of these various things. So, it's a it's a broad term. Um, in the context of of trusts, you know, a lot of times we will create trusts, and you can create them under the law now, so that Let's say if you create a trust in uh, a so-called dynasty trust in Delaware or South Dakota, for instance, you can create it now and um, uh, create it in a manner so it's not going to be included in the parent's estate, and it can pass through for the benefit of, let's say, the children and then the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and so forth uh, and not be subject to the uh, estate gift and generation uh, skipping taxes again at those succeeding generations. So it's a very powerful way to kind of create wealth and preserve wealth. But with that, particularly if it's going to go on in a multi-generational structure, you know, you could have beneficiaries at several generations uh, that are going to be beneficiaries of this trust when the individuals that perhaps you've, dis- that you've selected at this stage are long gone. You know, so there needs to be different kind of mechanisms to, to ensure that there's a succession uh, in, in, in the governance structures. Okay, you can have that too with respect to entities. For instance, a family investment partnership or an LLC. Okay, you need some methodology for who's going to be making the decisions and, and how that might be changing as, as it goes from one generation to another. So governance is a broad kind of concept. The one thing I would say with all these things, you know, there's a lot of flexibility in the way that you can structure things. Uh, and there's relative pros and cons. But I think the one thing that's really important with all sorts of uh, structures that you're looking at when you're representing a family is to realize that the arrangement that you have put in place today may be perfect today, but in five years' time, it may be uh, not so great. It may be uh, may no longer fit the situation. Um, and in certain circumstances, it could you know, be completely, uh, you know, no longer applicable and maybe you'd need to revisit it. Um, that's a broader discussion than we're, than we're going to engage in today. But, you know, I think the idea of kind of maintaining your structures, you know, kicking the tires from time to time or, or what I like to call as a lifetime stress test of your entities just to make sure that everything is properly coordinated is a really good idea. Because, again, you could have the most perfectly crafted document today that in five years' time could end up being a disaster just by virtue of the passage of time and perhaps change in value. Yeah, ab- absolutely correct. This is not a set it and forget it approach. Uh, this is something that you you have to look at uh, every every year, every few years, just to make sure that what you once did is still applicable today. Yeah, and it's it's funny that you use that term because um, uh, a friend of mine, Stephanie Loomis Price, and I. Um, wrote an article a few years ago called Set It But Don't Forget It. And, and it's basically <laughs> the, the notion is basically that, you know, there are a lot of great, um, uh, you know, wealth planning techniques that a lot of planners uh, engage in family limited partnerships, sales to grant or trust, um, preferred freeze partnerships, 
grantor retained annuity trust, all different types of vehicles that can be extremely powerful from a tax uh, preservation or from a tax planning and wealth preservation standpoint. But all of these vehicles, you know, these vehicles or things in general are only as strong as their weakest link. So, you know, all these vehicles can be very powerful if set up and administered properly. Okay. And virtually all these techniques have ongoing administration uh, requirements so that you have to respect the formalities of the transaction. Okay. And where people get into some problems is when they've set these things up and then they've got along uh, on their, on their way of kind of, you know, focusing on their family and their careers and um, the ongoing administration of these things sometimes falls to the wayside. And so really what you want to do is have a situation where from inception, there's an understanding about who's going to maintain uh, the integrity of these structures on a going forward basis, because that's where some of these things can be problematic. So it's an article that we wrote a, a few years back. I, you know, if any of the listeners want a, want a copy of that, they can reach me, and I'm happy to send them a copy of it. But it, it's really the basic notion that the formalities of these things post-closing are really essential to them working. Yeah, and how would they reach you if they wanted to uh, get a copy of that article, Todd? Uh, they can certainly reach me through you, or they can just send me an email or look on our website, www.withersworldwide.com. Uh, and my my name is right in there, and uh, they can send me an email, um, or they can go through you. Great, great. And uh, so what do you think some of the takeaways are? I mean, we know that there's a, a massive amount of wealth that's going to be transferred. Uh, parents have some anxiety about transferring the money uh, or even discussing the transfer of the money. And you've mentioned that certainly starting earlier uh, is almost always better, not only from just a pure dollars and cents tax perspective, but also to allow the kids to sort of get up to speed and get involved. Um, what are some other takeaways for, for the parents who are listening to this right now, knowing that they've put off this conversation for months or years or maybe decades, what is it that they really need to take from this to, to get them to at least start to have that conversation? Sure. Well, I think that the one thing I would say is that, you know, look at this and, and realize that this is an ongoing kind of uh, uh, thought process. And, you know, it's not going to generally be the kind of situation where you just speak with your estate planning lawyer or your financial planner, and then you implement one thing and you're done with it. It's an ongoing thing that, that will kind of breathe and evolve from time to time. I do think that a good starting point is to kind of start with a big picture, uh, maybe look at all the, 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 the family assets that are there, and think about from a non-tax standpoint what you want to do. If taxes and other things were off the table, what would you like to achieve? And then speak with your with your uh, advisors, and we can start kind of with that very big picture and work our way in. Now, there are different techniques that can be discussed. There are different, uh, you know, uh, relative pros and cons to different techniques. Uh, there are some that are going to be more certain and some that are going to have a gray area. And those will work their way into the discussion. The other thing I would say, um, and particularly when we're representing clients of uh, substantial wealth uh, where maybe they've kind of they've had some sort of structure in place, but now they've perhaps outgrown it. Maybe the, the family assets have grown 
much larger than they ever thought it was. Um, I think the notion of multi-generational planning is an important one to think about. And the whole idea of multi-generational planning is that we you can create structures that can be very tax efficient, but they also have protections in there. Again, you know, protection protecting each generational beneficiary from their own indiscretions, but at the same time, perhaps uh, providing for some generous access and enjoyment during their lifetimes, but also protection from, let's say, uh, creditors or protection from potential divorcing spouses of the beneficiary in the future. Those are types of structures that can be layered on top of of this different of the the overall analysis. But I think the big thing is that you know it's a it's a slow and deliberate uh, long-term kind of uh, analysis that's going to be ongoing and it may change from time to time and it may evolve. A lot of times the structures that you could that you can put in place can be quite flexible to adapt to circumstances uh, as they change in the future. But I think the most important thing is to kind of just start the dialogue and also start the dialogue with the next generation. And it doesn't need to be a financial dialogue necessarily. It can be more generally about kind of the notion of, you know, responsibility and preservation and stewardship of these assets uh, for the benefit of the next generations versus, you know, the whole uh, mentality of, ent- of entitlement of those assets. Um, but I, it's a, it's, go ahead, Judge. But it, it's, a, it's, an ongoing, it's an ongoing analysis. It's an ongoing consideration. But I do think that the point you made early on in the discussion you know, that we're going to have, you know, a massive amount of wealth passing through the generations uh, over the next uh, term of years, while at the same time coupled with, you know, a very kind of express uh, concern by parents about, you know, what the assets are going to do to the next generation that, you know, you have a real uh, you have a real disconnect there, right? You do, and and this is the area that uh, that I have focused on for many years, and that is the sudden wealth. And and I often see what happens when parents don't have the conversation, and they don't have that structure in place. And I, I think the concern for a lot of parents is that if we have this conversation, it might, or if I pass the wealth down, it might ruin our children, ruin their ambition. Um, so they, so they now they don't have to work for it. And all I can say is that by not having the conversation, you are not helping the children uh, because the money, as you say, and it's such a it's such a beautiful phrase, financial gravity, and that's exactly what happens. Is ultimately the money will flow down to your the younger generations. They will ultimately get the money. And so they're either going to be prepared or they're not going to be prepared. So by postponing the conversation, it's not helping them in the long run. And so right. I would say get help. Um, parents who, who may be listening uh, might think to themselves, well, I just don't know how to sort of approach this. I've never had this conversation with anyone before. Um, and so I, what I would suggest is, Work with people who have these conversations every single day. And so that would be obviously someone such as you, Todd, an estate, uh, an estate attorney who is involved in many families' decisions and who can come up with various ideas and, and ways to sort of start talking about this uh, because the conversation 
really should start as soon as possible, as you've suggested. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and it, again, that whole notion of financial gravity, the assets will make their way down at some point or another. At this point, you can structure, uh, you know, to create the sort of governance mechanisms through trusts and entities and other types of, uh, you know, related types of structures uh, so that you can have some measure of control about how uh, that, you know, how those assets pass down uh, rather than just by default. So, again, planning ahead of time is always going to be better. Always going to be better. Absolutely. And, uh, well, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom. I know you do this day in and day out. You're working in the trenches with clients, <laughs> with parents, with their kids. And so you have a, a particularly uh, just an insightful view in this area. So thank you for taking the time, coming on, and uh, really do appreciate your, uh, your, your insight here. And again, one more time, someone wanted to reach out to you directly. What would be the best way to, to, to get a hold of you? Uh, well, they can call me at 203-974-0398. Again, my name's Todd Ankatavanich, or uh, my, uh, my email address is um, todd.ankatavanich, uh, A-N-G-K-A-T, A-V as in Victor, a N I C H at withersworldwide.com. A very user friendly uh, email address there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was saying earlier that you have a, a last name almost as difficult to pronounce as mine. So I, <laughs> I feel your pain, Todd. Yeah. Uh, well, so Robert, again, thanks. thanks. Thanks for coming on. Really, really insightful. I very much appreciate it. And I know the listeners will as well. Thanks so much, Robert. I've uh, enjoyed uh, speaking with you on the program here. This was Sudden Wealth Radio. If you feel overwhelmed because of a recent windfall or are looking for better strategies to grow your assets, Robert and his firm have developed a national reputation for providing financial planning and investment management to clients globally. They are more than happy to answer any questions, big or small. So if you have a question about how they work or a question about your own situation, go to www.pacificawealth.com or email Robert directly at robert at pacificawealth.com.